0: I would like you to please uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, Exodus chapter 35, and today I will be reading from verses 4 and 5, Exodus 35, 4 and 5, and this is the word of God, and Moses spoke unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take give from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. The list goes on, but we will be meditating on these two verses today. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we are your children, and we need you so much. Father, we ask that today you will bring bring us to, to a deeper love for you, Lord. And we pray that right now you will teach us from your word. We need you so much, Lord. We pray this only in the merits of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I have selected what you probably think is an unusual text for a prayer meeting. But I really want to share with you one lesson that the Lord showed me Uh, During my personal devotions uh, some time ago, I am largely indebted to the notes that are found in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, which the Lord used to lighten uh, my eyes uh, about this passage. So let's consider this command that God gave uh, to the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness. The first thing I want you to notice is that God asked his people to bring him an expensive offering. And the purpose of that offering was to show forth his own glory. Look with me at verse 5. It says, take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And as I said, the list goes on. There are other valuable material there, but pay special attention to the words gold and silver. These are words that were spoken just before the tabernacle was built. And that that place, the tabernacle, needed to have those precious metals because it was going to be God's tent, the tent of the king of Israel. Those metals were precious and they symbolized the fact that God is more valuable, more precious than anything or anybody else. They were symbols of his glory, majesty and holiness. And this place the Tarinacul, was going to be full of luxury objects and would require around a ton of gold and 3.5 tons of silver. That's what we read in Exodus 38 verses 24 uh, to 28. If, if you convert those measures, you, you get that one ton of gold, around one ton of gold and 3.5 tons of silver. It was a lot. But here's a question that should naturally arise. How could a people that was just coming out of slavery bring God such things? Notice what verse 4 says. It says, and Moses spoke unto all the congregation of the children of Israel. The children of Israel. These words are not directed to the Egyptians or, or the members of any mighty kingdom in that time. They were spoken to the children of Israel, a people that had just recently been been taken out of slavery. Is this something, dear brethren, that you would expect a group of former grievously afflicted slaves to bring? How was it possible? How was it even possible? It was only possible because God had blessed them by sheer grace before. Verse four says, and Moses spoke unto all the congregation of the children of Israel. And this name, Israel, reminds us of God's covenant. This was a people that had been blessed by God. And part of their resources must have been inherited from previous generations because of God's blessing. We know that Abraham and Isaac were quite wealthy. Jacob had been blessed with his father's-in-law's flocks, as well as Isaac's inheritance. And Joseph had risen to great authority and probably great wealth in Egypt. However, even though the Israelites must have had some resources while they were in slavery, it doesn't seem likely that they were very wealthy uh, during their oppression. But what we do know for certain is that many of those resources came right from the Egyptians when the Lord delivered the Israelites. In, in Exodus eleven two, we read these words, Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So it was because of God's redemption that they had many of their resources. And we also know that they must have blundered the Amalekites in Exodus 17, a a victory that they could obtain only because of God's power when Moses uh, when Moses' arms were lifted up. uh, We we meditated a little bit about that on Monday with Brother Raymond's message. Uh, So what we see here is a principle. It is this principle. The only reason Israel could offer God such valuable things for his own glory was the fact that God himself had given them to Israel before. Let me repeat that. The only reason... Israel could offer God such valuable things for his own glory was the fact that God himself had given them to Israel before. And this has great application for us. Because today, God is asking great things from us. And I am not just talking about physical things, not not mainly about material things. I am talking about things like what we find in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 27 where it says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? With all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. This is what the Lord requires from us. And I would really like like to link to the idea of revival. What happens to revival? More specifically, What happens in revival within the church? Uh, Well, hearts are stirred up. Love for Christ increases. Sin is deeply hated, confessed, and forsaken. The Bible, prayer, and the public ordinances of God become even more precious to the saints. Believers offer up their bodies as living sacrifices to God. They lay out all their resources at his disposal. They willingly present him with their lives and desire that he should do whatever he wants with them. They are humbled. Christ is exalted. They start loving fellow Christians more and more. Communion within the body of believers increases. Long-abiding interpersonal problems get solved in a biblical way. Christians become interested in others and want to put down their lives for the brethren. They ask forgiveness from those they have wronged. They put aside bitterness and envy. They are willing to reach out and help the ones who are stuck in sin. They are energized and full of a yearning desire to see others come to the Savior. And then God God moves powerfully and uses these believers to bring many many others to his feet. I know, brothers and sisters, this is just what this commandment I just read It's all about what put into practice, isn't it? And and this is precious. It is precious indeed. When the church lives this way, it results in God being glorified. His glory is exalted. His majesty is manifested. His holiness becomes evident for the world to see. And this is what is required from us all. But just like the Israelites... We are those who are coming out of very harsh slavery. We are poor and miserable in and of ourselves. Uh, let's look at the way Paul puts this in Titus 3.3. 3. He says, for we ourselves also were so sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And this was our slavery. My brother, my sister, do you remember your slavery? God doesn't want us to forget where we come from. He could erase our memories and make us never remember again the kind of things we used to do when we were without Christ. But he doesn't act that way. Why? Because he doesn't want us to forget that we were slaves beggarly, miserable and poor slaves. And would you expect such precious things as the ones I just mentioned from a people made up of former slaves to sin? Just looking at our background, is there any hope that we will ever bring such precious jewels to our king? No, and, and I want to be emphatic about this. We cannot produce this in and of ourselves, there have been some who have said that we are able to make revival happen, if we just produce the right atmosphere, if we just do the right thing, if we follow the method, revival will come. but they are wrong because in and of ourselves, it is pointless, it is just as unexpected that we should bring these jewels to God as it would have been expectable, unexpected. You think that the Israelites would be able to bring that amount of gold and silver to God when they were under harsh slavery in Egypt. But they did bring it, and they brought it because they received it by sheer grace. So you see, because of grace, there can also be hope for us. And mark it well, it is only because of grace in Christ. In John 15.5. Our Lord says. I am divine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me. And I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me. Ye can do nothing. And this literally means. What it says. Without Jesus we can do nothing. We cannot even bring him his due. One of the things. That have struck me recently. Is that. In a sense, from one perspective, the kinds of things that happen in revival are just the way things should always be in the church. Right now, I am not talking about large crowds being converted uh, to the Lord. That's in the hands of the Lord. But I am talking about the personal revival of Christians that that is found in collective revivals. Brothers and sisters, shouldn't we always love the Lord that way? Shouldn't we always be on fire for him? Shouldn't we always be passionate about his word and prayer? Shouldn't we always forsake sin and humble ourselves before him and others? Shouldn't we always love our fellow believers and a lost world? If not, how much indifference is unmissable? How much love for idols? How much pride? But we don't always love the Lord this way. Even though it is our duty and nothing else but what, the, but, but what the Lord requires from us. We don't because in and of ourselves, apart from God's grace in Christ, we are failures. And we can do nothing. What then is our hope? Only his grace. This means we must cling to Christ. This means we must give him no rest. This means we must not let him go until he blesses us. This means all of that because there is no other way we will ever be able to bring him the gold and the silver that he will use to show forth his own glory. But when he gives us a grace, then we can give good works back to him good works that bring him glory among the heathen. And the wonderful news is that he has promised to give us this grace if we just ask him in prayer. And this is the confidence that that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Look, brethren, there is a mine of grace before us. And God wants us to exploit it through prayer. So, brothers and sisters, let us storm the gates of heaven asking for grace in revival. For we have no other hope of giving him what he's asking from us. Our only hope is that he will first give us what he requires from us by his sheer grace in christ so let us keep praying dear brethren let us keep praying amen